0: Episode 34 of the LSQ podcast. Thanks for pressing play. I'm Jenny Elliskew. And this is really truly a special episode for me because it features an interview with one of my all time favorite artists, Pavements Stephen Malkmus. OMG. I tried not to geek out too hard, but interviewing Stephen Malchmus, it's up there with like if I got to interview Bob Dylan or Jerry Seinfeld or something. Anyhow. Um, This episode also features some excerpts from an interview I had on the podcast early on with Angel Olsen because she does have a new album coming out soon. I was lucky enough to hear it in advance, and I can tell you it's brilliant, remarkable, dramatic, all of the things you want from Angel, but even better than you've heard before. I'm excited to have a little bit of that 2018 interview with Angel after the interview you're about to hear with Malkmus. We met up in Los Angeles when he was on tour supporting his new solo album, Groove Denied, a foray into electronic music. Let's listen. Um, I was intrigued at last night's fantastic show at the Lodge Room, Stephen Malkmus, to see you play entirely on your own, which I've never seen before. Um, And I wonder how much that process of you with the guitar and the laptop and... And stuff like that um, mirrors what you're doing when you're beginning to work on songs. I mean, is that sort of what it looks like?
2: Um, It's kind of like one last, yeah, one last overdub over the um, (laughs) over a track, and when I'm recording, I suppose. And but uh, it's also geared to be a a concert within my amount of time frame of preparation and how how what I to the best of my ability could make uh well any record you also try to make 45 minutes of entertainment or something but yeah so i kind of gig the backing tracks or take away or decide which way to do a song so that it doesn't get too uh samey which it does at times there's certain tracks that are more karaoke-ish and there's some that i you know loop and deconstruct uh
0: it works well with the groove denied stuff because that stuff that you made using automation yeah. anyway, right? So Yeah.
2: So I could take some songs, I separate the tracks some, I just make a loop um, and add some effects on it or just kind of, you know, remix it I guess in a certain way.
0: Is it fun uh, to play that way the way the, that just sort of up there well, by itself?
2: It's a challenge. It's a different kind of challenge. I don't know if it's um, some some of the songs it's more fun ones that are better probably that work better <laughs> <laughs> some of them like when I said that karaoke attitude um, it's okay but like you'd much rather have a band or it's like how do you do uh, yeah having the interaction and touring in general with people is better because I mean it's nothing that I think I could do for eternity and that's why people don't Really, I mean, you maybe do some solo shows now and then, but then
0: because it's just less fun or the camaraderie. Or yeah, something? there's just
2: less to bounce off, and you feel a little bit probably like a comedian feels or something when you go on the road and you're just by yourself, and it, probably more opportunity to get in your own head in a little weird way. But if keep it short, and, and this is
0: the end of this is the tonight's the last yeah, show. Yeah, it's the this last run.
2: one. It was a pretty fast run, and I like. I mean, I like playing the. So, solo, uh, electric acoustic style, uh, pavement songs that way. It's nice to connect and re-remix, re-also imagine those songs as just the, um, songwriter and his voice and, um, yeah. have a mix of that. But if I did a whole hour like that, I, it could be good too, but I think I wanted to have some, you know, noise and just, is this, is,
0: was this truly the first time you've done this kind of a setup for in for, a tour yeah. i never
2: definitely not with a laptop i've done a couple of uh solo shows like at a noise pop thing i did a acoustic at the great American just plain pavement everything whatever i could play the time I played at a pitchfork festival like that when but did this you- is more conceived a tiny bit like i rehearsed i had to rehearse and uh i had to conceptualize it more than that's not concept just playing songs it's not conceptualizing it's just remembering the lyrics and like trying to do it right you appeared to be having fun yeah as an audience member doing
0: there was something there was good feedback there's something as well about just sort of like this being uh the audience being able to take in the subtlety like the more kind of humor of just some of just the movement or the switching around the shifts or things happening Suddenly or whatever yeah. is like when it's just you, it's like the, the sort of the you humor can, of it is a little bit more. That's true. I apparent. mean,
2: it's if there's good feedback like last night was I mean, I'm getting a little better at it. I'm not saying like that was, you know, it's baby steps towards when I first did it a couple of weeks ago in Toronto. And um, I was still sitting down or I played the kitchen two shows. And it was like low volume there. And it was kind of awkward feeling in the kitchen. And I mean, I'm old enough not to. uh I can shake it off in the moment Right. that it's like not like what I wanted it to be, or I, you know I didn't have fun. But yeah, when it's kind of people are liking it. Plus, I'm doing in-ear monitors. Not that it needs to be really sad, but it it, it creates a uh, it's not a distance, but you can get in your own. I think it's not bad for being the solo person to take them off and put them on because you can kind of. Go into the isolation music booth. and then yeah. you're like in a band in your head more than what you sometimes need to do is a self-preservation thing rather than being completely present in a um, naked, you know, when you're in a band with four people, you, you always have hypothetically people are looking the other way at the drummer or listening to what they play and uh, makes it a little freer feeling. Would you tour if you didn't "quote unquote" have to? I mean,
0: or does is do you do you tour I when when you enjoy it, or is it sort of a necessary evil as a recording artist?
2: No, I mean, I it is a um a way to monetize uh the effort that um goes directly to you, not through a record Channels, label yeah. and uh, like Spotify taking everything, and you do that is a chance to. Uh, but I wouldn't want to, I don't think I would want to stay home, uh, 24 seven for eternity. Um, I'm used to it now after 30 years of, um, nearly of, uh, going out and, you know, it's like staying active or being, uh, sounds like a retirement, um, so call, you know, fun sounds shallow. I, I don't want to keep mm-hmm. r- repeating the word fun because yep.
0: there's something people think of as shallow about fun. But yeah, when did making songs first feel fun to you? When did you get mm. start to get that tingle?
2: Well, I always liked it when I was a young person, just like writing short stories or in my room, uh you know, it's like playing, um, uh, you know, basketball games and pretending like I was the other players or something, you know, like in your fantasy world. So music for me, was a little like that you make a band name or you imagine that you're doing something and then did you always um, imagine
0: you were the singer?
2: No, I'm not. No, that came later because of um I mean, it's when you're songwriting. I I wouldn't think of the same. I would just be like a dude in a band um <laughs> who's uh the guitar and maybe singing but not not it's not really like that. You know, you're just kind of uh playing a part. It's not like you're looking out from yourself you're not looking back at yourself that kind of imagining it's sort of going out um, right you're putting on um, the
0: mat you're putting on the mask. You know, it's
2: like a play thing and then yeah when people uh uh you know when there were some friends uh, saying like those are good or you have talents and the, um, they would felt, say
0: you have talent they would say
2: that, was, that felt <laughs> good are, yeah you know so also that happened and not to a level of like to make to make records or anything that was just kind of realizing that it comes to you
0: so how early did how early one. was that how
2: on oh, the punk band i was doing it uh, i was in a punk punk band in high school um and they needed new material because the straw dogs is this yeah at first they were called the young pioneers i wasn't in it and they had some people leave the band and half of them start new bam straw dogs and we inherited most of their material but we need we decided we got to make some new songs or and I don't know they were, I just said how about this you know they're really some silly songs but um you know I just cranked them out and we played them and then that came and went and then during college times I wasn't I was maybe just doing covers more um But you
0: already had a sense that it kind of came naturally to
2: you Thought, well yeah I th- I started I mean I guess I was impelled compelled to do it because I did do this group called the Lake Lake Speed with these at the senior year one of my friends who was in a Grateful Dead um cover band that played in Frats they were called the Skull, Skull Tones. Um, his name was Scott Bland and he also ended up doing the videos of Range Life and he was like a Roman Polanski uh film fan and he like a music fan of all genres like whatever Rolling Stone magazine said have five stars he liked you know or he would buy right whether it was Bon Jovi or um the Repl- replacements or there was this blue Rolling Stone record guide that that Led Zeppelin were only one star and stuff for two stars but uh, yeah, <clears throat> that's been it. a revision Black Sabbath and stuff were low, low rated so he didn't like them but he would have to now at any rate <laughs> he uh he um became a bass player. You know, he was my roommate and I was like, he, we just made a band just to make an album right before college ended. It was like just a grab bag of all the indie rock of the time, Husker Du and Camper Van Beethoven and the Minutemen and Velvet Underground and kind of mainstream indie that I liked. And so I made that album with them like in two days, but we never put it out, but it was done in a studio and then, so I was like, okay, I can do that. Yeah. But I just got to not do uh, something so derivative or derivative of cooler things. <laughs> no. So that's what we did. When we did
0: you it. start to gravitate toward music that that, was, that wasn't that was mainstream or that wasn't what you were hearing on the radio? Um,
2: well, it was always... We thought it was not mainstream, even when it was like Devo and the B-52s and Sex Pistols. I mean, I liked... All those groups, and even you know, Kiss seemed to be anti authoritarian and kind of like uh, edgy, you know, to a 12 to a year old, yeah. Um, so I guess I always liked that kind of music. I also like love The Doors, thought The Doors were like the best band, at least their first album, and uh, Waiting for the Sun, um, Greetings, Clearwater Revival, um. I like some of those groups and Hendrix, I guess, but Stones, but I mean, most all of those bands when they're they were popular, but they're kind of edgy, I guess.
0: Yeah. Did you have siblings or just old, or like older friends who kind of tr- introduced you to stuff or were you just kind of finding a, on your Devo
2: own? I think I just found on Saturday Night Live or, or we all just found it. There was no. Yeah, it was everywhere. More like there was like Grateful Dead and Little Feet and, uh. Some of my older cousins like that, and I didn't like that because it sounded like tuneless to me. You know, at that age. Um. Yeah,
0: it's interesting because I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I understand that you have you've become a Grateful Dead fan. I like them. Um, yeah. Not a Deadhead per se, yeah. but a Grateful Dead fan. In more recent years. And I remember as a kid, like, yeah, I didn't know why I didn't like the Dead. I just knew I wasn't like supposed to like that if I liked yeah nirvana say even you know or their cover
2: art is also like repulsive and like judas priest i could never like for that reason because the, their imagery i mean i hate to be like you know biased by the uh packaging you know but i was like Ugh, i can never <laughs> plus they're called judas priest that seems so weird to me i mean i totally respect rob halford and everything they did but it was like no way i was a uh, a no goes um same with the Grateful Dead cover art and um
0: did you feel like the things that you loved the most were things that hit you on an, a like an emotional level or
2: a visceral level or something or or um, or more aesthetic? Like catchy songs i mean i like the songs that catch I, it was a whole package, but I guess I like the catchier bands to me, like Devo or the b fifty twos are much more catchy than The Clash. Um, I guess on uh what is it the uh, double album? they're pretty catchy, but like give them enough rope. And the first album, I, I did not like it. You know, I liked the Sex Pistols though. That was some, that was a little bit slow and AOR sounding, but I still reacted to those songs really strongly. It's uh,
0: what about the Beatles? I
2: like them too. Right. I like the Stones better like back then, but if, everyone loves the Beatles. But the Stones were more like uh it was all the bargain, the three ninety nine albums like um uh, English Newest Hits Makers and Twelve By Five. Like those were cutouts at our record store and I could afford them. Right. Um so I didn't like Exile and Mainstream yet, and I probably wouldn't have, you know, I liked those R and B ones more at that age.
0: Right. Yeah, it's hard as a kid not to just be drawn instinctively to the stuff that's the most catchy and I mean I've read things yeah, you've said like about Bubble this Gun-y recently sort of. about like the like, observing what your kids like and what music mm-hmm. they're drawn to, do you see through your kids they're just sort of innately drawn to the catchiest
2: shit? Yeah, I mean, they see things in it, though, that are all beyond catchy. It's, there's a, I mean, I don't know. There's, it also has a, it's catchy, but it also has some sort of Pied Piper uh, thing in the um, EQ or in the in the emotion that's, can't call it catchy, really. Whatever it's like, Billy Eilish and Frank Ocean—they, uh they—they they like the person too. I mean, it's it's much more about individuals, as you probably notice. The music world going that way too, quite often. You know, with think about Matador, like almost all their artists nowadays, just focus on the one person. There's Kurt Vile, but yeah, there's a violator's Lucy Dacus. There's Julianne Baker there's yeah. snail mail it has a name but it's just her you know so it's like they identify with the person and rap music kind of led that charge too hip hop um but also like yeah there. i guess
0: just because they're you know for their generation. It's like you have to be willing to be an individual in front of the camera on your phone at yeah. all times and you can't fit a whole band in that yeah, selfie doesn't... frame. So one person immediately steps forward as like the one you care about. Mm-hmm. Like I mean it, it hasn't harmed in BTS. Bands, <laughs> and band, yeah, they're like a
2: collective or Brock Hampton or
0: Where each one of them ought
2: on yeah, their own all, and they're, they're your like, favorite Power you, Ranger yeah, or whatever. Call it a band odd future, but it never was you know, it's like we're a team of you know atomized mini capitalists um, so yeah there's like you 2 and that model of course it exists like I saw this band Cage the Elephant or something And, I, and but even to me a band like I am sus- susceptible to that where I just uh, when I see a band I'm just like oh it's just a bunch of guys you know like or it's like Queen of the Stone Age is Joss Homie you know and like whoever it is and it's obvious in their photos, but he still calls it Queen of the Stone Age. Um, I don't know. There's less of the gangy things. I guess I guess in punk like the priests or I mean, there's a lot of things I can think of that are banned. Oh yeah, it's people just to people say.
0: want yeah. Just in doing interviews, yeah, it's easier to separate out the one person who everyone knows is the one person yeah. who does like a lot of the heavy lifting, and that's the person that you talk to every time, and the yeah. other people are okay with that. You're not, you know, yeah. which is not how you know, you think of, I mean, even like the bands that mattered most to me when I was getting into indie music and you think like, oh yeah, everyone knew that Lou and Jay didn't get along, but you didn't think only one of them mattered,
2: you know, if you cared about that kind of shit or something or they're, they're,
0: but I mean, you know, the same thing with Pavement as well. It's just Mm -hmm. like, okay, well this is this, if it's not this combination of people, then it's, then that's what I'm listening to is this, is this combo. I know yeah. that you know for for the pavement records the process the process in the studio was a lot of improvising and a lot of like going mm-hmm. with first takes and that kind of thing. Was there a point or has there been a point when you kind of adapted your songwriting process on your own so that there's more preparation in advance? I know you have like um, the basement at home a mix, now. You go mix to. of
2: things like it can be uh, some things come I mean like solos and stuff they just they're actually less uh, planned than even I mean so, some of the pavement ones you know were like you know I would take a while to figure out what I was going to play <laughs> and now sometimes I just rip it you know I'm just like oh, I'm going to rip this one out and we'll just keep that one but songwriting is a different story I, I yeah I would say that just because of technology and knowledge of... I wouldn't have even really thought to uh, make a demo beyond a cassette, playing in a cassette, maybe, back then. And now there's more ability to make four parts and try some other uh, instruments. or And there's more time to kick... It just feels like more time to kick around just go down in the basement and kick some ideas around where there was uh I didn't have a studio then and I would just wait to go to the studio to do it and there's really that's something I kind of did that on Groove Denied even though it was my own studio it was more like the that style of uh doing the first thing and seeing where it comes not doing it again um for better or worse um and I, I know a certain a lot of artists would probably concur that it would be nice not to do them. Like they the accidents that happened that first time <clears throat> through and you're um, making it, uh, not only are they good, but also you're not like competing with this other thing in your mind that you're trying to uh, get to and make like, they call that demo itis or something, I guess. Where Yeah, I guess it's always
0: the with creative stuff like the where do you you know, calling bullshit on yourself about like I'm just being lazy and I could improve this mm-hmm. versus like I'm gonna I'm gonna micromanage the life out of it if I Plus, take too mixing, many passes.
2: Mixing you can really post production or product like you can go so easy to do a mix on Pro Tools and just uh, change everything, and then re- you know you can go down a wormhole and do keep doing it. Much easier than you could back when it was going down to tape, where it took three minutes to actually record it and then listen back to it. And I've heard stories, yeah, just letting your mixing engineer go crazy on the bass sound and just getting worse and worse over two two days, or so, if you know right because um, <laughs> you can it's only just your time it's not like it's just labor it's not money
0: have you found with mm-hmm. your favorite songs of yours the ones that still like still feel really good to play or that the newer ones that feel good that that there is a certain f- feeling you get when they're first coming out of you that you kind of recognize
2: um well that's what leads you to continue on with them to take them to fruition i suppose um Sometimes, Sometimes you continue yeah. on when you don't feel that feeling, but you just think um, this is an idea worth pursuing. Other people might liked it a little bit, or you might not know.
0: What what are what would be an example of a song of yours that that you yeah that felt really good immediately and that that you still feel good about?
2: Um. Well, I mean, lots of them. Often they're the ones probably that are a little more surprising in their, um than their final. Uh, incarnation where like it's hard to spot the references of what you were going for um right like uh but also ones that are like trigger cut or something a first paper now i mean that's like pretty sounds a little like jim croce or it just does the same thing over and over again but like i still like it you know it's like uh it came out better than I thought it would. You know, some of them that happens too, just through your age, or that's more with the younger ones. A lot of things, because you had a, a real low bass line back then and more energy. So, <laughs> the, you know, if it comes out of the speakers, like, uh, I sound like a band, or we sound like a band, that's really, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe yeah. it. You know, yeah. it's like you kind of are conceptualizing it. And you get older, you still get a little dopamine rush from hearing it come out and like it sort of sounds valid the engineer did a good job and you recorded it and um but it's a little watered down you know there's you're not as uh it's not as exciting that's just the way the highs are not as high and the lows aren't as low i guess that's growing older
0: <laughs> <laughs> deal with it young people yeah. who don't understand yet <laughs> With your lyric writing process, is that something that's changed at all over time or that you've that you've stepped back from to look at, like, how do I do this
2: or do I want to do this differently at all? I try to do it differently, but I still don't really know um, what I'm doing. Like, I just... Uh, some stuff just comes from the subconscious and basically all of it really does come... Like, I don't know where it really comes from. I mean, I might be reaching for a theme but the actual words that come out and how they come out i'm not uh even with editing and a little more awareness about what i've already done i mean it's still i don't really know what's going on until Um, it's coming out of your mouth i don't know (laughs) if it's really good either you know like i know i think with riffs and a couple of counter melodies. I you know, I feel like I have a sort of uh you know, you have a soundtrack of life in your mind and everything you like and you, I think I can weed through there and say like this is like a good version of me and it doesn't sound it's like in the spirit of what I like but it doesn't sound like it exactly and I'm pretty solid with the music I think. It doesn't you know it doesn't always connect, but lyrics yeah, I don't know, so, so I think some people the few that really identify as lyricists, I mean, it's a tricky thing to really own own that too, because you know you you can look at other people's lyrics and they can seem really shit, you know, like if uh. If you want. I mean, I, f- I feel there's more bias. There's more you can just be like. Unless you have to listen to the whole song, it's probably fine. But if I write or see a review and they, like, quote some lyrics, I'm almost always like, whatever. Those are like. Right. Except someone like Smog or something. Like, he has a Zen, Cohen, Cohen-esque, clever things he writes. I You know, I always like those or something. But right. But those wouldn't work with these other bands' music anyway, probably even though they, plus they didn't think of it, but you know what I mean? Right. So things can, but they're taken out. I'm just like, oh, there's just, just more words. Right. All right. That's, right. I know there's just more music too, but I can get more emotional about just more music or it just, uh, you know, if it hits me the right way. Um, Is there stuff that, whether it's stuff
0: your kids listen to or just stuff, because it seems like you try to keep up with Mm -hmm. all the shit the kids' shit, too.
2: Like, is there stuff that you really like that you've heard in in the past few years?
0: Yeah, new things.
2: I mean, I love Frank, Frank Ocean. We listen to him all the time. And, yeah, I don't really get tired. Like, his rap on Nike's, like, it's just, like, one of the best raps ever, as far as I'm concerned. Just the flow, the way his voice sounds and the flow, it's, like, Hard to uh I don't get tired of it. That's a song you think you might get tired of or something, but I don't. Well, you know, there is something to be said for songs that you don't get tired of. Um Yeah, I like that. But I told her about that. <laughs> you told, told your her daughter about Frank, about Frank Ocean. Yeah, yeah, and she she just really likes it. She likes I I don't love the new Billy as much as I want I think I'm supposed to. Um she's almost all she's also almost like just into Billy now. It doesn't even matter about the uh, about the music, you know. Yeah. It's like at that stage, just likes her. Right. And so I can't even tell if she. It's not. There's like almost not a value judgment on the music once you're in full uh, throes of fandom. Yeah, which is nice, you know. Totally.
0: Um, and I, and I mean, <clears throat> she's like I her. like Billie Eilish. I like that she's. Yeah. You know, I feel like all other things being equal, yes, great if Billie Eilish yeah. is the is an icon for young people uh yeah, I agree. In North America found,
2: currently that's seems good to me. Yeah, she found it somehow. I mean, whether it was on Instagram or it wasn't through a friend, it was some sort of signal being sent out, you know, that she gravitated towards and her and many others um have uh, their own journey. What about some of the m- more
0: recent, like big indie artists, like Vampire Weekend or Mac DeMarco? Would they like or... she
2: doesn't like that. No, I mean you. Me, I like uh, both. The, I mean Vampire Weekend. I, I, it's sort of like giving a presidential, like an endorsement or something. I, I basically endorse the band without like endorsing all their uh, programs. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I think they're a good thing. I think they're clever guys, and I um. Mac DeMarco a couple good songs I've heard maybe maybe more Um, he's uh,
0: Mac DeMarco is the most uh, from his generation that reminds me more of sort of like the old school zone of not giving a fuck of just being like laid laid back
2: he has a song called The Viceroy's and that's what Bob used to smoke from Pavement so I I always think of that when I, I hear that song um Ode to the Viceroy's. Um, I haven't met him yet, and I haven't seen him play. Um, I've seen Vampire Weekend at Primavera, and Ezra was hanging around in his um, khaki um, Bermuda shorts, and, and I didn't talk to him. I probably should have. He's a lovely that dude. was back in the day. Um, relative to Vampire Weekend's day, <laughs> <laughs> it's like... 2010 or something. I don't
0: know. Was there ever a moment when it was by, you know, by the standard of the day, blowing up when cut your hair was on, you know, was on empty, on 120 minutes and stuff? Did you ever have a moment where you thought, should I be, should I pursue, should I amp up the ambition, the ambition on this or something? Should I do stuff that feels uncomfortable for some reason or another? And did you do stuff that felt uncomfortable at that time? Not
2: really. And we didn't, uh, there was, uh, we didn't, I didn't really want to work with a, a producer, so as far as the, you know, that's the main thing that's going on is making music, and I was feeling confident that I could do it myself, like produce it myself. So that being said, we I needed someone to mix it with me. You know, I knew that I was not good enough to, um, after doing Slant and Enchanted with Gary and Scott, I, I like how that sounded, but I didn't want my whole... Uh, work to sound like that so i had to get like a technical person in there and make it sound like better not knowing like what it was going to sound like just better
0: right so that was a
2: that's not a i mean it's partial commercial concern after the fact because it made it more approachable but i also wanted that so there was no like dialing in which songs could be uh Sing and maybe *Terror Twilight*. We did do this like major league song that was got watered down because we thought it could be a catchy song. That was a little bit commercial, but that was like almost at the end. I'm saying those are a couple times where um, there was a little bit like we should try to have a single or something.
0: Right, but there wasn't like a lot of sort of like having to deal with sort of like oh that's creepy. Commercial commercial, not really creeping, creeping We went in. on
2: MTV. I didn't want to go on MTV really at that time. I was... I shouldn't have gone on there to have a talk because it seemed like kind of a commercial thing that I was not... But I should have just not gone on there if I thought that. And there's also a certain, like, thinking you could have your cake and eat it too once people like the other records. Um... And people like like Nirvana was like selling a lot of rap, being the biggest band in the world. I was like, well, we can, we don't have to. It's just gonna be kind of if you just act kind of punk, and don't care. It's gonna you don't have to do that stuff, and it's that's the right attitude, and that's how band a rock band should be. Yeah, um, that's how the Sex Pistols or the Replacements or you know these certain um, artists that. You know, thumb their nose at authority, and that appealed to us um, more than being like the be- the nice Beatles when they first started. <clears throat> what uh, appeals
0: to you most about it now?
2: About just doing
0: what you do? Um, what aspects of it do you do you enjoy the most? And do you can you picture a life where you don't
2: put so, out records for the public? It's coming out and once you've well making the stuff some a lot of moments recording and and having a couple of your friends like it you know so getting approval from peers and and uh (laughs) then also um the rest of my in group when they like it that feels good too you know when people get to hear and they're like i'm really am enjoying having you in my life and listening to it it's you know, it means a lot to me. We're connecting. I like that. I can't deny it. Um, <laughs> which that's, that, still the,
0: that's still the same as when you started, kind of, huh?
2: Yeah, it's fun when people dig it. You know, it's like, you know, you feel like there's a world that you're part of. And um, not just as a, a fan, which I'm that too, but I like to go see bands. And and when they're really good, I like to go up and say, you know, like, that. I just that was really good, you know. Like I, I love what you did today, you know. And so I also like to get that approval too now and then. <laughs> um, so for anyone listening, stage, in the nicest. I don't right need now. any people <laughs> Just... to go up and say that, you know what I mean? But yeah, it, it, it can be felt or whatever. Fan, you know, we're all fans because yeah. know, we like to relate to something and like we would like to give our stamp of approval. You know, it's like it feels good to you know say like i like this i really like you i, I don't know so. that is literally
0: the only thing i do with my time is go around <laughs> saying i like this i'm not sure about yeah. this i'll give it yeah. a try yeah. this i will never not love deal <laughs> 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 with it yeah right <laughs> and your music yeah. sir i will never not love so okay. thank you so much for uh taking yeah. the time to meet Thanks. here in downtown los angeles while That's you're here right. it's awesome talking to you yep. Talk to you too, dang. cheers Now if I could go back in time to like 1992 and find little baby indie rock Jenny and tell her that someday she's going to get to interview Stephen Malkmus for her very own podcast I wouldn't have believed me I mean first I'd have made me explain what a podcast is and then I'd have been like no way but yes way thanks again to Stephen Malkmus uh, who still seems kind of unknowable you know but in a way that I dig And you know what? There's more in episode 34. Angel Olsen has an amazing new album called All Mirrors coming out October 4th. And I wanted to play you some excerpts from my interview with her from last year. One of the early episodes of the podcast, episode 6, is a nice long conversation with Angel about her creative journey. And I'm going to play some highlights, starting with Angel talking about, you know, kind of her teenage musical leanings. But, of course, you can look for the entire episode earlier in the feed, and I hope you will do so. Let's uh, get it going. I like to tell the
1: story because it's like freshman year, private school, cheerleader for a very small, might as well be, um, homeschool-sized classrooms because it was 25 people to a class. Oh, wow. So I was a cheerleader for a basketball team at this very small private school. And then that year, I think I got pneumonia, and I kind of like lost a lot of weight, and they wanted to throw me up in the air, and I was like, fuck, <laughs> fuck that, I can't do that. And I'm not going up there, you You're know? like,
0: I'll throw up in the air. Yeah, <laughs> so
1: I quit, and I joined like a ska punk band called Good Fight, and I would go to these like shows all the time. There was this place called the Creepy Crawl, which I don't think exists in St. Louis anymore, but it was pretty gross, like it was a pretty gross place to go, but yeah so I got connected with all these kids and then there was this music scene website called STL Punk which is like it was like a functioning or a St. Louis version of Facebook before Facebook had exploded. Okay. Um, And you could find out where bands were playing, if they were playing house shows, where the locations were, and everybody had a profile so you could see like who was in what band. And so it was like this early network and we would find shows, me and my friends from school. So within a year I was like ex-punk, I mean uh, ex-cheerleader. Now I like (laughs) wanted to dye my hair and like, you know, go through all this stuff. And I was singing in this band trying to be like you know, kind of like Gwen Stefani meets, I don't know, right. Slime or something with like
0: punk. Some and had you started stuff. playing an instrument yet at that point?
1: No, I was, I was playing piano, like going to lessons. I think I probably quit around then. And then I started playing guitar and that's when I discovered like, that's when I discovered independent music and... Um, listened to a lot of Stereolab and Broadcast and Mount Eerie and mm-hmm. um, Yola Tango and then, and then that's when things sort of opened up and I realized there was old music which I always loved but there was this other kind of music out there that was lyric driven and really right. strange and I wanted to explore that so um, playing guitar, writing my first songs probably around 16 or 17
0: We took it all
1: Like some of the stuff I was talking about, I was like, I was 23 years old. What was I, <laughs> what could I have been going through that was really like inspiring me to write this song? But, um, there's something so, pure in that, so, though, obviously. There's but something. here's the thing like, people, you you revisit your old work and it's almost like you're listening to a stranger because you've changed so much sometimes since that period. So, you know, I don't remember what the songs were about necessarily, but I remember like, trying that thing with my voice that i find to be annoying now you know but i i've i've found it interesting because if i hadn't gone through that period of time i wouldn't have found what i like and what i'd hate and yeah you know i'm sure in five years i'll look back at a record that i did i you know my woman or a previous record and be like this sucks
0: maybe it's one of know? the things you gotta uh, admire about uh, good old Robert Zimmerman, um, and the fact that he made Nashville Skyline just decided to sound like Kermit the Frog for an mm. album. And just like, let's let's just, I'm already famous, let me just sing in a yeah. weird falsetto.
1: Yeah, I mean, you want to try new things. You gotta. Um, I feel like, yeah, I don't know when I exactly found it. But you, you're a
0: technically gifted singer. I mean, you have you a good tone and good yeah. pitch and that kind of thing, you know, that just...
1: I'm pretty good. Must
0: have been a... So, yeah.
1: <laughs> I decided to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But you weren't, like, singing in the chorus or something, like, as a little kid. I mean,
1: I was, but I always just thought the old ladies that came up to me at church or wherever were just being nice, you right? Know? And then eventually, um, playing these house shows, it was really inspiring because it was the first time I got that kind of attention and people would come up after the show and like, you know, ask me if I had any CDs and I'd be like, I don't know. I don't have any CDs, you know? (laughs) So I started making mixed CDs for people and giving them away.
0: But I also feel like, you know, again, considering that we've hung out a little bit before this interview, you're a funny person you've got a good sense of humor You're, yeah (laughs) you are a funny person and i feel like you know i mean obviously a song like shut up kiss me is funny
1: yeah
0: um but this you know my woman does seem like there's more of like that aspect of your personality coming through and then watching the first time i ever saw you play a headlining show was just at that show in new york at fucking in oh, East in, Williamsburg, um, uh, oh, recently, yeah, yeah um, Steel, right. Brooklyn Steel, right? That was the first headlining show I'd seen you play ever, yeah. and it's like, yeah, she's fucking hilarious. Like that was even fun. just when you're just like not saying much, it's it's funny.
1: I wanted the sens- I wanted to add a sense of humor back to my work because I felt like people were starting to. I didn't mind so much the genres that people were putting me into. I just didn't want to have the reputation that people couldn't have a good time that only sad breakup people could come to my show you know Uh, yeah i was like no it's bigger than that you guys like you don't have to be going through a breakup i promise it'll be fun but you know like i also obviously i write songs that are like that and i have accepted that about my career but i also yeah i just wanted to have fun
0: You've mentioned that, you know, you've got Coachella coming up, obviously, and you're going to do some solo performances. But I mean, what 2018 in the larger sense, it, it, are you going to give yourself some time off later in the year? What, what kind of stuff are you looking forward to doing just between now and when you feel enough of the urge to go back into the studio again to, to start doing that?
1: Yeah, it's so hard for me to imagine what the studio even looks like the next one that I'm going to go into. Yeah. I've never been a person who works with the same producer twice, um, but I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious what it would be like. I think we all kind of need a break. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to see what playing the solo material um, is like and, and what I sort of, through revisiting that, what I what is on my mind and and how 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 will I approach the next thing that I'm doing? Because I have been writing. I've been writing um, sort of as an exercise. Um, I've been writing about a fake band. Um, <laughs> and I have this idea to write songs for the fake band and everything. yeah, I, I don't know what to do with it. It, j- it could just be an exercise. And then I just want to get into the practice of writing in general, not necessarily um, music. So there could be yeah. something later in life that I, where I do something with that. But at the moment, I'm just trying to chill because there's just a lot of reflection that needs to be done about what just happened.
0: But it must be exciting just to know that you, you know, that it's now reached a level where people are going to be stoked. Whatever the next thing is, yeah, they're, you know, well, they're there.
1: It's it's weird. I don't I don't ever really think about it like. I did all this stuff, it's like a package in space, like it's all, I did it, you know, I, I I, always kind of feel like there's something I have to, like there's more work to be done and I've, I could do it differently and better the next time, you know.
0: And, of course, now we've almost arrived at Angel's next thing. Her album All Mirrors comes out on October 4th, and she's going to be touring extensively this fall in North America and beyond. And that brings us to the end of episode 34. Thank you so much again to Stephen Malkmus and to Angel Olsen and to you for listening. Episode 35, out in a couple of weeks, features an interview with Devendra Banhart. And I hope you'll subscribe if you haven't done that yet. Plus, you can reach me with feedback at JennyLSQ.